Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation, glad to welcome back once again Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, great to be back with you this morning. Thank you for joining us and looking forward to our conversation. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend as well. Morning, Dan. Yes, uh, busy weekend taking care of you know, some holiday planning, but otherwise, uh, yeah, nice a little break before we start another week, one of the final few major weeks of the year. So, Jason, to that point, yeah, we have about four weeks remaining here in 2022, so fair to characterize it as the final stretch. Last week was eventful with everything from Fed Chair Jerome Powell's policy remarks at the Brookings Institute. I know we received an abundance of economic data as well, so maybe we can recap some of those developments and what it all means for the outlook as we head into 2023. So let's start with Fed Chair Jerome Powell's remarks last week. A lot of anticipation heading into them, and the market reaction afterwards was quite favorable. So, Jason, what did the market like about the remarks, and what is your interpretation for what it implies about Fed policy going forward? Going into the speech, there was certainly concern among investors that Powell would sound very hawkish. We've had a sizable rally for uh, for risk assets and, and, and rates coming down in the fourth quarter. So it's at a backdrop similar to what happened in the summer where markets rallied and then we got Powell's speech at Jackson Hole, which was very short and sweeping to the point that they have a lot of work to do to bring inflation down. Uh, so the fear was he did sound kind of quite hawkish uh, you know, last week. He wasn't, certainly not as hawkish as his feared. He reiterated many of the same points he made before, but there was a perception that he was actually maybe a little more dovish than perhaps he intended. Uh, and that's how inverse interpret it. You know, for instance, he acknowledged that a step down in the pace of rate hikes is, is warranted. This had already been telegraphed by other Fed officials, so that wasn't particularly new. Uh, but he did say that you know, the FOMC doesn't want to over-tighten, uh, and he seemed a little more optimistic on a potential soft landing than he was at the last uh, FOMC meeting in early November. So the fact that he sort of acknowledged that they don't want to over-tighten was also kind of interesting. You know, It implies that they're not uniformly focused on bringing inflation down. They are worried about the economy slowing and potentially a rise uh, on the unemployment rate. Another sort of notable thing is that he didn't push back against the easing of financial conditions that we've seen over the past six to eight weeks. Uh, so since mid-October, there's been about a 30% retracement of the year-to-date tightening of financial conditions to that point, and it varies by which measure you use, but you know, a decent, you know, at least a quarter of sort of the unwinding. Uh, and so instead of sort of pushing back against that, thinking, well, easing of financial conditions makes, you know, or reduces the, you know, the potential for the economy slowing for bringing inflation down. Instead, he commented that, you know, markets are working. We're now in a place where we can bring inflation down. So this suggests that maybe the Fed isn't quite as obsessed with tending financial conditions, uh, which is important because that's been a headwind for, for kind of equities and other risk assets to do well. Uh, and really what I think seems to imply is that they think that as they move the policy restraint further into restricted territory, and it's likely we'll get a 50 basis point hike next week, that at that point in time, you're around 4.5% or close to it, that is clearly kind of restrictive. Uh, so when you take all this in, I think one of the things that the markets are debating is whether was there sort of a policy shift, you know, a tweak, was just a, a little bit of a step in this policy pivot that the markets have been anticipating, or did the Fed actually make a mistake by sort of, you know, sounding a little too dovish when there's still a lot of kind of wood to be chopped in terms of the inflation front? Uh, that, that remains to be seen, but that's sort of the takeaway is that more dovish than expected, whether this is 
an actual clear sort of change in policy, at least a tweak, or whether it's something that he can clarify you next week at the FOMC press conference. I guess that time will tell on that point. So outside of Fed Chairman Jerome Powell's remarks, there was an abundance of economic data for investors to digest. And you think about everything from inflation data, GDP, of course, the November jobs report we received on Friday and reflecting on the data, a bit of a mix, good results, bad results. So, Jason, what is your reading of what the data says about the overall state of the U.S. economy right now? Well, last week began with data showing kind of a clear slowing in the economy. Uh, that was true in the housing data we got, which shows a further sort of slowdown of activity there. We got the Chicago Fed PMI, which was uh, a, I mean, historically a good indicator of economic activity. That declined much more than expected. It's clearly in kind of contraction territory. And we also got the ISM manufacturing data, which at the headline level is now in sort of mildly contraction territory. So that all shows kind of a slowing economy. There's also some inflation data that showed it continues to trend lower and maybe a little bit faster in some ways than expected. And that was true of sort of core and headline PCE inflation. Uh, the month of Roman numbers were better than expected. We also saw the ISM prices paid index also sort of falling more than expected. So inflation is, you know, some parts of inflation continue to move in the right direction. But then on Friday, we got the November payrolls report that was stronger than expected kind of across the board. You know, roughly 65,000 you know, more jobs than expected. But the big detail was the average hourly earnings, you know, actually increased um, in the prior two months for October and September also revised higher. Uh, so this adds to the risk that the labor market isn't cooling. In fact, that, you know, wage growth is, is perhaps accelerating a little bit. And given how critical that is for services inflation, inflation overall could remain stubbornly high. Uh, so to put it in context, since July, so in the last five months where we have data, Average hourly earnings over the time period annualizes to a 5.3% growth rate. In the last three months, it average annualizes to 5.8%, so nearly 6% wage growth. Uh, and that looks like that's going to continue for December and into the new year, when there's also tends to be a lot of wage adjustments that take place around the start of the calendar year, as well as Social Security is going to be boosted higher. So you add this all up from some data showing slowing, strong jobs report, inflation, parts of inflation going down, the net result is, in some way, more ambiguity about the growth and inflation trajectories. It's clear that parts of the economy, like the goods sector, like the manufacturer, are slowing, uh, if not in a recession, including housing. But the fact that job growth is positive, and now we're seeing real wage or real income is now actually rising. So I gave you the average hourly earnings, you know, how much they're rising recently on an annualized basis. Over that same time period, like since July, where we have four months available, we don't yet have November, but CPI is running at a 2.8% annualized rate over that time period. The last two months, it's 5%. Um, in both cases, that's less than the average hourly earnings growth, which means that real wages and real income is now growing at a positive territory. That means consumer spending has been holding up quite well, a lot because of consumers dipping into savings or adding credit card debt. If real income is now positive, that means real spending continue to be positive. And that's the most important part of the economy. All of which suggests that uh, that the even though there's parts of the economy slowing, there's not any signs of it tipping into an overall recession just yet. And if the consumer holds up, that can push up further when a recession could start well into 2023 uh, and potentially avoid a recession overall if inflation does come down you know, quickly. So, Jason, turning back to the markets, how exactly would you summarize the market reaction to all of the policy and economic news we've received over the past week? Well, it was a very favorable reaction to uh, Powell's comments on Wednesday that the S&P was up about 3%. Uh, 
Uh, and that really drove the markets higher for the week overall by 1%. So if you take that out, generally it was down for the week. Um, notably, on, on Friday, we got this stronger than expected payrolls report, strong wage growth, which is inflationary. That, you know, if you told people investors before the markets open, based on the data, what would happen, you probably would have expected a pretty sizable pullback in equities and higher rates. Instead, the S&P 500 was down 12 basis points, and the VIX volatility index actually fell points to, uh, fell four points, and it's now at 19, a below 20. So that's a pretty benign response. And there could be technical factors at play where we're into the season where like volume is, is getting down. But the fundamental interpretation of this kind of reaction suggests that investors had been, and we know this had been sort of becoming a little more comfortable about the inflation trajectory, but more concerned about the growth outlook. And so if you get a strong jobs report, knowing how that feeds into the consumer, uh, this, you know, and this pushes off at least the timing of a recession, uh, that gives a little more comfort that maybe the growth outlook is going to be a little more resilient than investors expected. So it's one of those situations where it's good data. It could have been bad for the markets because it means higher inflation and potentially a more, you know, reactive Fed, but also alleviates one of the concerns that investors have right now, which is more slowing growth, more so than inflation remains sticky. That's been the sort of the view over the past month or so. So, Jason, at this point, we've covered the major events of last week, everything from economic data releases to monetary policy remarks, though. What can we infer from those events about the economic and market outlook in both the near term and the intermediate term? Well, I think to start with the Fed, you know, and how to interpret some of Powell's comments, because one of the frameworks that I think we've had this year for thinking about the markets overall is that as long as inflation remains too high and the labor market is too tight, the Fed is going to want to tighten financial conditions in order to slow growth below trend to bring inflation down. So they've been very kind of obsessed to some extent with financial conditions getting worse. That framework may be at least a little bit in doubt if Powell actually is okay with financial conditions easing. They don't need them to tighten significantly. Um, and that's important because the Fed this year has been a source of volatility as they've raised rates. You know, but if they're getting closer to being done, that means they will be less of a source of volatility going forward. And this paradigm, this framework that we've had may need to need some tweaking. Now, the caveat to that is, you know, there is implied sort of a bet that the Fed and the markets, if they're getting comfortable with inflation coming down, that if it turns out that's not the case, they have to be reactive. Uh, the Fed is also assuming that the policy actions they've done thus far and more hiking to come, you know, will slow the economy. Uh, so even if financial conditions ease, that positive impulse for growth from conditions easing, that's going to be overwhelmed by the Fed raising rates. That may be proved to be wrong, and we could find out as soon as next week that the Fed is, you know, actually no, doesn't want to, you know, kind of you know, ease its focus at all, and inflation data into the first quarter be could be consistent with a Fed that has to be more aggressive. So for the first time in, I think, you know, in many, many months, maybe since the start of the year, that investment framework maybe needs a bit of a tweaking, which would be a positive thing for investors as it gets closer to the Fed pivoting. But that, to some extent, is offset by the fact that the macro environment remains challenging and also a source of volatility. There are parts of the economy that are slowing, and other parts, like the labor market, have to slow ultimately in order to bring inflation down. But for the time being, we have a pretty wide divergence in kind of the inflation data we're getting. Parts of it, like in the goods sector now in shelter, look like in real time those prices are actually coming down, getting you know, disinflation or deflation. Service of inflation still remains you know, relatively elevated, and the labor market actually wage growth feels like it's actually increasing. So when you add it all together, what does this mean for the inflation trajectory? There's more uncertainty and kind of a wider range of potential outcomes, and that at a minimum is a source of volatility. 
So if you add this all up, I'll think about what is the outlook for the next three to six months. You know, we remain cautious. We think the risk reward is still skewed to the downside. And if you look at the S&P 500 at over 4,000, more important is that the forward multiple, its valuation is around 18. This is a pretty elevated level when the long-term average is 15 to 16, which means that a lot of things have to go right for equities to actually kind of grind higher. Uh, and effectively, they're pricing in a soft landing type of scenario at this point. So if that doesn't materialize, the skew is certainly to the downside for equities. At the same time, with rates declining and the yield curve getting even more inverted, that suggests that the rates market or the bond market thinks that we're pricing for a recession. So there's a bit of a disconnect across different markets, and it's more likely that you'd see equities pull back and rates rise significantly over that time period. Uh, so that's kind of consistent with the view that we have of sort of being up in quality uh, you know, across fixed income, We've had added a little bit of duration over time uh, you know, in recent months, and that's paid off in the past month where long-duration bonds have actually rallied quite a bit, even more than equities. Uh, we think you want to be a little more defensively positioned in equities given sort of their, their overall level. Uh, that favors defensive sectors. But just thinking about the very near term, there's not a lot of major news this week that could sort of disrupt the markets from grinding higher. Uh, and depending on what happens next week with the CPI data and the Fed meeting, if those end up being in line with expectations and not worse, that could allow the markets to kind of kind of grind higher, at least through a year, just for those sort of new, normal seasonal flows. But ultimately, when we think about into the first half of next year, given where we are right now, I think the risk reward is looking a little more skewed to the downside for risk assets overall, uh, not necessarily for you know, safer treasuries or safer fixed income. Well, Jason, with all of the news and data we received last week, it's very helpful to hear your interpretation of it and what it means for the outlook going forward. I know we'll be speaking at least one more time here on The Snapshot before we close out 2022. So looking forward to that. Though in the meantime, Jason, wish you a great week ahead. And thank you again for dropping by and sharing with us your insights today. You're welcome and have a great week. Thank you, Jason. Again, today we've been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Before we close out, I do want to remind our listeners and their clients of UBS that you can locate Jason's blog, The Final Stretch, available now up on UBS.com slash CIO. For clients of UBS, simply reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of Jason's blog directly. From UBS Studios. I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 